0: I'm Professor Lucy Rogers, the inventor with a sense of fun. I've judged fighting machines on robot wars, written a book on rocket science and even performed stand-up comedy, but now I have a new challenge. Design Spark want me to find out how everyday tech is helping people and places do extraordinary things from saving bees to unlocking a sixth sense. Just how are they giving themselves the engineering edge? I'm out on my walk and it is wet and soggy. And this field where I now have to wear my welly boots, over the summer, it was just a field full of buttercups. It was absolutely delightful seeing the, the bright yellow. Now they've all gone and there's just puddles everywhere. And I really wonder where all the insects go. There were bees buzzing through here. Uh, It was just lovely to see, but now all I can see are are cobwebs. Tiffany's calling me. She's my producer. Hi, Tiffany.
1: Hi, Lucy. What are you finding on your walk today?
0: It's freezing out this morning, but uh, it's one of those beautiful mornings with all the cobwebs highlighted. This made me realise that I don't see many insects now this time of year. I assume they must hibernate or something.
1: Yeah, when it gets cold like this and all the insects disappear, I always kind of worry about what's going to happen next year, and especially if we'll see as many
2: bees next year as we did this year.
0: Yeah, there's problems with bees, aren't there? I mean, we need them for pollinating everything, but hmm.
2: We hear all the time about
1: how bees are in decline, and I wonder what people are doing to try to help that maybe with everyday tech?
0: Well, you think we're going to strap little backpacks on bees with technology (laughs) on them?
1: (laughs) Well, maybe, but maybe something else. That's what you should find out for this episode. Can everyday tech help bees?
0: Okay, I'm up for it. Let's give it a go. I've been looking out for someone who's using everyday tech to help out bees, and I found Rich Morris doing just that in Wisconsin. He's created a technology for honeybee hives called Broodminder, and he's agreed to talk to me about it. Hello, Dr. Rogers. Hi, Rich. I really appreciate you talking to me today. I love the idea of using tech for nature. So can you explain a little bit about Broodminder, please?
3: Well, I started beekeeping about 15 years ago and being an electronic engineer by uh, training, I knew that this was something that interested me just because I I love looking at data and those sorts of things. (laughs) Then when I was uh, liberated from my last job, I decided that uh, now may be the time to try to productize it. And you know, see if there's a real need out there for uh, devices like this.
0: So, what does it actually monitor?
3: A couple of very basic things: temperature, humidity, and weight. Uh, the temperature and the humidity are inside the hive, and the weight, of course, is of the of the entire hive. And that gives us, you know, some really important data that we could use.
0: So, so I can see it's important to you know, keep the bees healthy, uh, especially for our honey supplies, but. What's the value of these honeybees really?
3: In general pollination. So we've raised honeybees. Uh, they're actually not native to North America. Uh, they were imported uh, for making beeswax uh, for candles and since then we've become very dependent on them for pollination. So all of our fruits, all of our not our grains, you know, if the bees disappear, we won't starve. But for instance, in an apple orchard, you like to pollinate it strongly so that all the apples get ripe at the same time.
0: So this is all for honeybees?
3: It's all for honeybees.
0: Why make this?
3: One of the things that uh, here in Wisconsin, we have you know, four or five months of winter. During that time, the bees cluster up and form a little ball. And you don't like opening the hive in the winter because it it breaks their seals and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. So even if the only data point we got was that it's warmer inside the hive than outside the hive, then I know the bees are alive. Ah, oh, yeah. And with the great, you know, we're losing 40% of our livestock every year.
0: Sorry, 40% of the bees, the hives die every year? Yes. Wow.
3: Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that that is the the big problem. Uh, is that we had these high losses, so even knowing when they died, was it November, was it january, was it you know a week before I opened up the hive even even that single data point seemed valuable, and that that prompted us to start going and then, after having that, we started looking at other things and sort of the temperature-wise, the remarkable thing is that the honeybees act as a super organism. So they act as one, even though there's, you know, 20, 30,000 of them. And when the queen is laying her eggs and raising the brood, the bees inside maintain that temperature at 95 degrees Fahrenheit, 35 degrees centigrade. They maintain that temperature for the benefit of the brood.
0: And the brood being the babies. The
3: baby bees, yes. Uh-huh. So that's the nursery. The, the counter thing is that if, they, if there is no brood, they don't regulate the temperature. Right. So when we're looking at the data, if it's tracing the outside temperature, you know, with a bias of, of you know, their thermal mass, then we know that the queen isn't in there doing her job. If it's nice and rock solid at the brood temperature... Then we you know don't worry near as much about it, so that gives us a real good idea of when brood rearing starts in the spring, when it ends in the fall, and how stable it is through the middle of it
0: and how does it work
3: uh very well uh <laughs> it you know it is basically a data logger. What we do is we have a about a seven millimeter thick device that goes inside. Uh, it's that thin because it has to fit in what we call bee space. Bee space is the space that is larger than they will seal up, but smaller than they will build comb in. So we put it in that space and then we monitor the, the temperature of the brood that way and the humidity inside the hive.
0: What's the tech that's inside
3: these things? Well, we've settled on single-chip computers with Bluetooth built-in because we have to make this extremely simple and cost-effective. So it's basically a single chip plus a, a sensor chip, temperature and humidity, and a battery. Uh-huh. And that's about it. And then we connect it to a god-awful amount of software.
0: <laughs> and and for the weight?
3: We use a, a strain gauge and a sensor for that. Same sort of thing.
0: So, so is that all that the weight will tell you? Is just the how much honey's in there?
3: Well, it'll also tell you if they leave. Of course. Uh, so, <laughs> so during a swarming event, you know, if you lose a, a couple of kilos in an hour, uh-huh. then okay, they've left. Right. The other thing with swarming is they lose thermal regulation during swarming, and we see about uh, four degree Fahrenheit rise, uh, so a couple of degrees centigrade rise in the temperature when they swarm, when they leave. The speculation originally was that they were warming up their flight muscles to leave. Uh But what we're seeing is that that bump actually comes after they leave. And so it's more of our feeling at this point that basically their control system has gone wacky. They've lost this huge thermal mass and these huge heaters, and it's basically um, underdamped. damped. (laughs) if you will.
0: So I can see that it's actually measuring all the things that a beekeeper wants, but how's that actually helping the bees?
3: We have put the bees into this artificial environment. You know, they their environment is living in tree hollows and living out in the wild. We have turned this into agriculture. So, you know, knowing their health and then taking appropriate action. The varroa mite has been devastating worldwide also, which which is a a mite that the bees get. And it's a vector for a lot of different kinds of diseases. So how we treat them and uh, how our treatments for Varroa affect the hive, all those sorts of things are what add up. And frankly, we are still in a learning mode. You know, I tell people this is a faith-based company because we have faith (laughs) that when you collect large amounts of data, uh-huh. You learn things.
0: but is that isn't that data just for each individual beekeeper?
3: No, and that's ah. a huge part of our mission is that our data is public
0: domain. Right. So anyone, so I can go and have a look at your hive data or anybody's hive data and the whole mix of it.
3: Right. So we only do it by postal zone and we also allow people to pay us a little money if they want to hide their data.
0: So we've not only got the beekeepers being effectively citizen scientists, but we've got members of the public can just go and have a look as well and actually do something with that data.
3: Right. And also uh, university folks.
0: You've got people using Broodminder all across the world.
3: Yeah. We've shipped about 16,000 devices you know, we have a team of people who are dedicated to basically the idea that if you collect data, it will change your beekeeping management. You know, we're just trying to, you know, push the peanut forward and try to, you know, change the world our little tiny bit. Wow. Yeah, when when we add up all of the data because of the, the length of life of bees and those sorts of things, we consider we've monitored about 2 billion bees.
0: Wow. I, I It's too big. I can't imagine it. That's been brilliant. Absolutely fascinating. Thanks ever so much, Richard. I've really enjoyed that. Oh, I appreciate it. I hadn't realised how important it was to know the weight and the temperature of your honeybee hive. The temperature can tell you not what the temperature is outside, but what it's like inside And the bees are amazing because they can regulate their own temperature. I mean, honeybees are so important. Without them, we wouldn't have half the food that we eat. They're so important for agriculture, for pollination. I asked Rich to connect me to one of the beekeepers who's using Broodminder because I want to know what it's like for a typical beekeeper. Can this everyday tech change the way they really care for their bees? So I'm calling Sarah Hilt in Madison, Wisconsin. Hi, Sarah. Thanks ever so much for joining me. I'm really excited to talk to you.
2: It's my pleasure, Lucy. Thanks for having me. You're a
0: beekeeper. When did you start beekeeping?
2: Yeah, I've been beekeeping for about five years. This would be my fifth summer taking care of hives. And
0: why, I mean, other than bees are lovely, why did you stop keeping bees?
2: I've always had kind of an environmental bent. So when the opportunity presented itself to learn beekeeping at my current job, I jumped on it. How challenging is it? Honestly, it's... Can be very difficult. There are a lot of nuances when it comes to beekeeping. So, you know, at first blush, it, it's not something that you would think is is hard. It doesn't take necessarily a lot of time, but to be good, it takes a lot of knowledge. I've actually lost hives for many years. So the first three oh, nice. years I was beekeeping, I lost my hives over the winter. Ooh does that feel like oh it feels awful not only do i feel bad like i didn't do my job to the girls but i'm killing a or not necessarily not not my faults per se but um yeah you know i'm killing an an essential creature in our environment that pollinates a third of our food sources so
0: yeah i I can imagine what difference has the tech made for you and your hives
2: as a new beekeeper for example On the most basic level, it can tell you if your bees have survived or are alive during the winter. And that is one of the hardest times for a beekeeper, right? You have so little influence on what's going on in your hive, but it's a peace of mind to know that they're alive. So uh, otherwise you wouldn't know until the spring? Exactly. You don't know until the first semi-warm day that a bee would come out of its hive, which is, that can be January, February, March, sometimes mm-hmm. even April, depending on where you live. Also, uh, you know, in the summer as a new beekeeper, it can, on a very simple level, just tell you if there's the presence of brood in your hive. And brood is essentially the lifeblood of your hive. If you don't have brood, you don't have baby bees. So your, your hive is not going to survive. Right. So you you really want baby bees? Absolutely and and broodminder can say in fact, yes, there is brood in your hive or no, there's not so you might want to go take a look and see what's going on. So have you got any examples of when it's actually worked for you? Yeah, a couple different times I can speak to broodminder basically indicating to me that either there was a problem in my hive and I needed to go in and take a peek. Mm -hmm. Um, Actually, even this summer, one of my hives, I saw about a three to four degree drop in temperature. And I couldn't figure quite why, but that indicated to me that I needed to go into the hive and kind of take a peek because this hive had been at a consistent 94 degrees for the last four months. Uh Um, And lo and behold, I had a mite problem and my queen was not producing and it indicated to me that I needed to do something and I was actually able to intervene and save the hive.
0: Oh, wow. So actually, because of this technology... You've, you've kept a hive alive.
2: Absolutely. It just kind of indicates to a beekeeper, hey, something's not quite right, or hey, something has changed, so you might want to take a look. So, it's, Yeah, it's not
0: telling you this is the problem, but it's more of a red flag of we're not right. Something's not right with us.
2: Or on the flip side, it's a a flag indicating, hey, everything's going great. So in the summer, if I can see that my girls are maintaining temperature, I can see that they're gaining weight because Mm -hmm. they're increasing their honey production. That is an indicator to me that all things are going well. I think it honestly gives an insight into your hives that you wouldn't have without opening a hive up. Mm -hmm. And you want to do that as little as possible because every time you open up a hive, I've heard that it sets the bees back in productivity by two to three days.
0: What are some of the biggest successes that you've had?
2: One of the things that I've been most proud of this year specifically is my hives have been extremely healthy and they've actually reproduced. So when your bees swarm, it's a way of them to basically reproduce a hive and create another one. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of beekeepers... Don't necessarily like swarms because it can slow down the productivity of a hive. Right, but yep. what it also does is it reproduces bees. Mm-hmm. So this year, my hive swarmed five different times. Wow. And I was able to see this because I had a substantial weight drop at one point in time, right? So I had two and a half to four pounds of bees leaving a hive at a time. Right, yeah. So I could see which hives had swarmed and I was actually able to catch these swarms and we created four brand new hives out of the swarms.
0: Wow. Oh, I bet that gave you a buzz. <laughs> Sorry, that, that <laughs> was a unintentional pun. That was perfect.
2: It certainly <laughs> did. It was exciting. It was the first time that I've been able to do that as a beekeeper.
0: That's been excellent. Thanks ever so much, Sarah. It's been really interesting.
2: It's my pleasure, Lucy. Thank you so much.
0: It's amazing how useful this everyday tech is in caring for bees, and I'm wondering if a temperature sensor can also help care for me. So I've been playing around with some tech. Now I don't have my own beehive, sadly, but I do have my own home, and I like to make it cosy. So if I get too hot, I'll put the fan on, and if I get cold, well, I'll go and have a cup of tea. So the setup I am going to do, my version of this technology, involves a Raspberry Pi, a thermistor, which is a a temperature-dependent resistor, so it's, its resistance changes with temperature. I need an analog to digital converter for that, And a little bit more electronics so that I can turn a fan, a five volt fan on and off and also a speaker because I want it to tell me that it's too hot or too cold. But on the beehives, you didn't have to go in. It could send you a message on your phone. So I've also got this sending out a tweet that says, hey, it's hot or hey, it's cold. Let's give it a go. Okay, I have set it all up and it should be working. So at the moment, it's a little bit chilly. So I'm going to grab hold of the thermistor and make it think that it's hotter in here. So let's grab hold of that.
1: It is hot. I am turning the pan on. (laughs) It is time for an ice cream.
0: (laughs) It works. And if I let go and let it cool down again. So it's got a delay, it's got to actually register that it's cooling down, but also I've got it only polling every oh, five or 10 seconds or something, I think. I might have to get an ice cube. Hold that up to the thermistor.
1: It is chilly, I'm turning the fan off, put the kettle on.
0: <laughs> and it worked, it said, it is chilly. I am turning the fan off. Put the kettle on. I'd better go and put the kettle on. I know that individual beekeepers are able to use Broodminder to help their bees. But there's a lot of data if you put together those thousands of beehive monitors that are out there. And I want to know what purpose that data can have So I've tracked down Professor Christina Grosinger at Pennsylvania State University. She's an entomologist, an expert on insects, and apparently she's been using broodminder in her research. Hi, Christina. Thanks ever so much for joining me today.
1: Thank you for inviting
0: me. I'm excited to talk to you. I'm really fascinated to know how an entomologist is using broodminder in your research. Can you tell me, please?
1: Yeah, so we're interested in in understanding what about landscapes promote bee health and survival and productivity. And so for honeybees, they forage over really long distances, so they can forage 5 to 10 kilometers away from their hive. Uh-huh. And so trying to understand what they're foraging on and how much of it there is in the landscape is really challenging because they cover such a large area. And so for the, the broodminder scales, they give us really detailed information about weight changes in the colony. And so we've been using this information basically to understand the overall floral resources in a landscape that provide the bees with the nectar and the pollen that they need to survive. And the
0: floral research is, to me, is flowers. Ooh. Yes.
1: So it is, <laughs> exactly. Floral research are flowers and, uh, and honeybees and other bees are using you know a lot more than we necessarily think of, right? So so they're often foraging on flowering trees, right? And then okay, also yeah. on, on weeds. And so from our research, we're finding that a lot of the pollen that they're bringing in is coming from these plants that we're not necessarily aware of as, as people that the bees are using for these nutritional resources. Uh-huh. But with the broodminder scales, we can, you know, we can basically see what the bees see and what the bees use. And so we can get a really fine-grained understanding of how many flowers are available in a landscape and at what times throughout the year.
0: So it's not just what the farmer has planted. It's, no. It's actually what's in the hedgerows, what's in the, the fields around on the side of the road, maybe.
1: Exactly. And we just published a study that was led by a former postdoc in my lab, Doug Sponsler, that was looking at these honeybee colonies in urban areas. And urban areas are, of course, really challenging because you know there's like large buildings and you can't really sort of easily walk around and, and see what plants are available to the bees. And so using these broodminders was just a really great way to see in this this, you know, densely populated urban area, what was the resource flow throughout the season. Resource flow? Uh, meaning like, <laughs> the availability of, of, uh, of nectar that the bees brought in. So then that allows us to say, well, if, if we know that there's not a lot of flowers that the bees can collect things from during those months, then, then what could we add to the landscape to support them better during that time?
0: Can we plant? Other types of flowers.
1: Exactly, exactly. <laughs> right, yeah. What we're trying now with our, our broader studies is looking at broodminder scales that are under honeybee colonies in a network of collaborating beekeepers that we have that are across the state. And so this will allow us to see in different kinds of landscapes. So if we have urban areas, agricultural areas, or more f- sort of forested natural areas, what is the flow of resources and how is that potentially affected also by, by the weather conditions? And so our hope is to basically, you know, be able to create sort of a map of these resources that then can help beekeepers know, you know, when, when will my colonies be growing? When is it a good time to collect honey? When might I need to supplement my colonies so that they can do well? How many different species of bees are there? Oh, there's like 20,000 bee species in the world. Really? Yes. <laughs>
0: Oh, and so yeah. I, mean, I thought it was a honeybee and a bumblebee. No, 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 no.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so honeybees end up being really great. I think ambassadors of bees in general because yeah. they are so common and they have beekeepers who love them and love to talk about them. Um, but there are twenty thousand bee species, um, and then in the in uh, the U.S., there's um, four thousand bee species. In Pennsylvania, which is where I am, the state that I live in um we have about 450 bee species so there's a lot of diversity out there
0: you're doing this with honeybees mm-hmm. are the research findings useful to wild bees
1: yes yeah so we're so honeybees they're generalist foragers which means they go to a lot of different flowering plants and they again have this really broad foraging range and so our assumption is that, you know, what what's good for bees is also going to be good for wild bees in the landscape as well. So if there's a lot of flowering plants, that just benefits the whole pollinator community. And then we also know, of course, like plants flower to produce seed and fruit. And so those seeds and fruits also benefit the other animals that are living in that community, like birds and mammals.
0: So how's all your data helping these bees?
1: Well, so we have created a website that's called beescape.org. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it's essentially, um, it's for the continental United States and it allows people to go into their specific location and get information about the predicted floral resource quality in the spring, summer, and fall, Uh and also the predicted nesting quality. So for wild bees, they're nesting in the ground and they're Ah. nesting in stems or in other cavities. Mm -hmm. And so they need to have nesting places in order to be able to do well in a landscape. And we also have predictions on the pesticide load in the landscape based on what we know of the surrounding agricultural crops. So this website basically allows you to, to check for your particular site, you know, is it going to be good for bees? And if it's not, you know, what are the issues? Like, does it not have enough uh, yep. um, flowers? Does it not have enough nesting? Does it have too much pesticide? And so right now, those predictions are based on what we know about the, the land cover classes from remote sensing. But we're hoping with Broodminder, we can you know really get a sense of you know what is available in these landscapes and then we can model better what these resources are going to be for for bees so so you
0: might not be able to say it has this species of flower or this species of tree but you can say in spring there's plenty of of, yes. of food and places right. places for them to live and then exactly. but but come the autumn oh it's not so great so you know if you want bees in this area plant something or make a nest or you know make a habitat suitable
1: that is exactly right so we're we're basically trying to give people the ability to sort of look at their landscape the way a bee would look at it uh-huh. and then know how to you know how to how to fix things and make them better for honeybees but then also for wild bees as well
0: i can see this is important
1: to beekeepers why is it important to everyone else bees honeybees and wild bees are really important for food production, right? Mm -hmm. So about 75% of our major global food crops benefit from bees and other pollinators. And so these are crops that your doctor tells you you should eat because they're really good for you. So these are your fruits and vegetables and nuts. So for growers and for, you know, having sort of an abundant and diverse food supply, we need to have bees to support that, Mm -hmm. as well as other pollinators like hoverflies are really important as well for many agricultural crops. But then when you look sort of more broadly into flowering plants in ecological communities, about 90% of them also benefit from pollination services provided by insects and other animals right so so that means that that bees are really sort of the core of healthy agricultural and natural and urban landscapes
0: brilliant thanks ever so much for your time I'm back outside for another walk and it's another wet one. I've got my wellies on again and there's yeah, still no bees, but I'm hoping that lots are going to be here again next year. How cool is it that everyday tech can be helping them out? Bees aren't just great for, for you know me watching them in this field of buttercups. But the agriculture that needs them, we all need them. Otherwise, our plants won't get pollinated and we won't have harvests. I've really been fascinated talking with the beekeepers. They don't see the bees for months over the winter, so they don't know if they've got a problem. And so just using everyday tech, the, the temperature sensors, the weighing, I think it's great that not only can the technology Help our beekeepers, but also help the wild bees and the wild insects in general by making sure that the right pollinators are in the right places for them. I think my work here is done. Must be time for an ice cream. The Engineering Edge was a Why Did the Chicken production for Design Spark. It was hosted by Professor Lucy Rogers and produced by Tiffany Cassidy with Dan Page as the executive producer. Special thanks to our guests, Rich Morris, Sarah Hilt and Christina Grosinger. If you enjoyed listening to the show, please do three nice things for us. Subscribe, rate us on iTunes and tell a friend. For more episodes and bonus content, head to designsparkcom forward slash podcasts.